1: everybody welcome into breaking the huddle uh appreciate you joining me here on facebook live breaking the huddle uh by the way i'm joel clatt this is breaking the huddle on facebook live and is presented by dr pepper remember at every tailgate and homegate it is the ones it is the one fans crave um i'm having a little because i'm parched uh and it's delicious so i'm just going to be drinking this kind of during the course of this for segment here's what we're going to do I've got my top ten. We're going to kind of unveil the top ten as I'm raking them this week. I'll give you some bullets. Make sure to throw your interaction on the show because late in the show, I'm going to take the interaction and we're going to have a little fight. So get the snark up. Get all your hate going. I love it. It's what makes this show great. Invite your friends. It's going to be a fun time. And then I'm going to try to get to some of the snarkiest stuff at the end of the show. And then we're going to have like a little like Joel Clapp versus Twitter guy Um, battle at the end, and it's going to be awesome. My Siri is going off and and literally quoting everything I'm saying here, so hopefully it's not calling somebody weird. All right, let's go. Top 10 in the country. What is this, week 5? Week 5, top 10 in the country? Number 10 is Wisconsin. Uh, Off of the the bye week, they didn't have much going on. Here's the thing that I'm really intrigued about Wisconsin is that they're getting really good quarterback play. Alex Hornibrook, 70%, eight touchdowns, one interception. And I think he's like in the top, I don't want to say if, he might be third in the country or fourth in the country. I think third in the country in passer efficiency rating, definitely in the top five. If they get that type of play out of that position, what? Are you kidding me? I'm like, Wisconsin's really good, fourth in the country in total defense. I really like their defensive coordinator. Our producer always says, like, don't talk about coordinators. No one cares. But I like Jim Leonard, so I'm going to mention him in every show. Jim Leonard, defensive coordinator of uh, Wisconsin. Georgia is number nine. Georgia, Georgia. So Georgia was a team I wasn't really buying into a lot at the beginning of the season. Guess who's buying into them now? Yep. I like me some Georgia and in large part due to that defense, okay? I think the defense is really strong for Georgia. Kirby Smart's done a nice job. There's, they're not a perfect team, okay? They've got some holes, but they've also had some really nice wins and you can't take that away from them. They only give up 200 yards, uh, 280 yards, excuse me, against Mississippi State. And from as a true freshman, he didn't even throw an incompletion until the second half. That's pretty good. Um, And by the way, that win against Notre Dame, starting to look a little better as we go along. And that's part of the problem with preseason rankings, right? You don't think a win is good. And then all of a sudden, later in the season, you're like, hey, beating Notre Dame on the road, that was actually pretty good. All right, you ready, snarkies? I know you're going to hate this, all you Husky fans. You're all upset that it's raining up there, I heard. Washington, for me, is number eight. Um, I saw Washington week one. Wasn't super impressed with Washington uh, against Rutgers. There is a few things I really like about Washington, though. One is their pedigree, okay? So now they've been there for a year where they've been in this position. They're used to it. They get everybody's best shot. I think their quarterback, Jake Browning, has improved. While I don't see... His improvement in the form of strength or arm strength, um, I do see it in terms of efficiency. He's completing the ball for around 69%, 68% of his throws. That's up from 62% a year ago, and he lost John Ross. So he's showing that marked improvement year over year. I'm a big fan of Dante Pettis, and watch out for Miles Gaskin. He's starting to get loose a little bit. He killed uh, the old buffs up there in Boulder, rushed for over 200 yards in their win this last, last week. By the way, Colorado had won eight straight in Boulder, and so Washington goes up there. They're my number eight team, and I'm sure everyone's thrilled about that in Seattle. How are they ranked number eight? Oh, my goodness. Okay, Michigan is number seven for me. I really was impressed with Michigan's ability to improve in the one area where they were weakest going into the game. Everyone thought, hey, this Purdue team, you know, they've got Jeff Braum, which, side note, and since this is live, this is fun pull up a second window on your screen and google jeff Brom xfl interview it's the greatest thing ever do i or do i not have a pulse just google it jeff Brom xfl interview um it's phenomenal so anyways michigan goes into play purdue and their new head coach jeff Brom. they had been averaging 35 points a game going into this thing and michigan's defense shut them down 10 yards in the second half no first downs in the second half and purdue was 0 for 12 in the game on third down that was a pretty dominant performance now wilton spate goes out i don't want to say that was inconsequential but spate was maybe the biggest struggle that they had had on offense so john okern goes in and okern goes in and immediately he improves their whole offense going into the game they were scoring on about 13 percent of their drives this is a high-level analytics now. Now you get your notepads out. Stop watching Jeff Brom videos about the XFL. About 13% of their drives under Wilton Spade. O'Kern goes in, 40% of their drives they score on after he goes in, including going three for three, scoring touchdowns in the red zone, which there was a huge struggle going into that game. They were one for ten going into the Purdue game. All that to be said, I love me some Michigan at number seven. Um, hold on. I'd like to have some Dr. Pepper. It's delicious. Um, All right, number six, all the way up there, TCU. So TCU was really, really good against one of my darlings, Oklahoma State. Here's what I love about TCU's team. One, they have a veteran quarterback that has been through a lot kenny hill has been through all sorts of things in his career so he's not going to get flustered or panicked in a situation like they were in last week on the road against a top ten team that's number one number two gary patterson defenses they're really good i mean he's one of the best defensive coaches in america i would say he's probably the second to nick saban in fact statistically when you look at how many times he's had a top five defense compared to everybody else in the country he's going to lead that category this guy is phenomenal He dared Oklahoma State to run the ball and throw the ball short, and it just wasn't working out for Oklahoma State. They held the ball for 39 minutes. Big credit to another coordinator. Chris and our producer is cringing. Sonny Cumbie did a great job for them offensively. Love what TCU did. They may be undefeated when they face OU November 11th in a huge Big 12 matchup. So number six, the TCU Horn Frogs. Okay, we're going to go a little faster now. Penn State is at number five. So I love the fact that Penn State was able to overcome a poor performance and still win on the road. You have to do that in championship years. You just have to. You go through the annals of college football. Great teams struggle at times in the regular season. And generally that comes in in, in the form of struggling on the road in conference games. So they get Iowa. They Kind of beat them up on the stat sheet, and then it takes a great drive and a great epic performance by Saquon Barkley. So I do love me some Penn State right now. By the way, Saquon Barkley, 358 all-purpose yards. That's pretty outstanding, man, and that's why you're rising up everybody's Heisman board um, pretty substantially. We'll see where Matt Leinert has him a little bit later in the show. That's a professional tease, ladies and gentlemen. Number four, USC. Probably going to get some hate there, Nittany Lions fans. Come on, hit me up. Let's get some snark going so I can get it later in the show. I'm going to stick with USC at number four for a lot of the same reasons that I like Penn State at five. What did I tell you about playing road games in league? They're difficult. And USC was without their best running back, Ronald Jones. They didn't have their second wide receiver, Stephen Mitchell. They were down some important players in the defensive front seven, and they found a way to win. Darnold wasn't his best. The team wasn't wasn't their best, but they beat Cal on the road. I don't think you can scoff at that, and I don't think that they deserve to get shoved down in the rankings because they went on the road in league and won. Oh, and by the way, covered. Did they cover? I'm trying to think now. How many were they giving? Well, regardless, it was a good win. Good win for USC, so I'm going to keep them at four, and I'm still a huge fan of Sam Darnold. The top three is what I believe to be the best three teams in the country. And there's a pretty big gap. Okay, so... I feel like we've got the top three and then everybody kind of trying to get themselves into that level or onto that level. I'm going to go with Oklahoma at number three. Um, I very easily could have them higher than this, but the only thing that concerns me is that their defense is still susceptible. Baylor proved that out Saturday night. Was in, they were in a very similar game as USC was on the road, as Penn State was on the road. They're at Baylor. Baylor's trying to make it their entire season. They were 0-3 coming in. Baylor's still got some talented players, uh, but Oklahoma prevailed, and they did so on the back of a really strong rushing effort. Mayfield didn't have to be great, but he was still very efficient. Baker Mayfield has lost all sorts of talent from last year's team, and he's even better than he was a year ago. So kudos to Baker in that respect. But that defense, just watch out for that defense. they got to clean some things up uh, when it comes to Big 12 play. Clemson. Clemson's going to be at number two. I love what Clemson's been able to do. Uh, they were in a similar type of situation in that they were in a game that was a lot closer than people thought it should be. 7-7 going into the fourth quarter against Pitt. But Travis Etienne, a freshman running back, two touchdowns, nine carries over 100 yards, kind of carried them in that in that fourth quarter. I am concerned for Clemson. When they get into a really big environment in which their offense isn't playing well, how do they respond? Because they played great in their one big environment that they've had so far in terms of offensively against Louisville. Auburn, I've always thought, is a little overrated. So while they've been tested, we'll see. Because this week's test, I think, is going to be the toughest of them all at Virginia Tech in a matchup against uh, what is what I think 12 uh, 12 Virginia Tech. So that'll be big for Kelly Bryan and that defense. And the number one team is going to be Alabama. Until someone beats them, I just think Alabama is the most balanced team. They went out and they absolutely throttled Vanderbilt. Who is that player from Vanderbilt or the fans that are chanting, We want Bama? Ah, no, you don't. They outgained you by almost 600 yards. And by almost, I mean they were one yard short, which in the grand scheme of 600 really doesn't mean anything. So they outgained you by 600 yards. 600 bucks is like a paycheck. My goodness. You got outgained by a paycheck. How do you like them now, Vandy? Do you want Bama again? Do you want them to try to outgain you by 652 yards? I, that's what I thought. Bama's really good. I mean, their defense held what? Vandy to 78 yards. 78 yards? My goodness. It would be hard to. The best high school team in the country may gain more than 78 yards on Bama wants to take that bet i've got five people in the studio raise one raise a hand if you want to take that bet no one's taking that bet you know why because they could probably gain 78 yards on bama 78 78 yards epic performance uh hurts is playing really well he's not getting a ton of love but he is playing pretty well so that's the top 10 i'd like you to look at it gaze at it longingly and um let me know what you think all the positives i'm sure there's nothing but positives right because i like nailed it nailed it Joel Klatt's top ten. Make sure to get your uh, feedback going. And uh, right now, uh, we're going to talk a little Heisman. All right, here we go. Heisman talk. Our Heisman winner. Going to have his top five here. What do you got? I mean, it was kind of a rough week for the Heisman guys, huh? You
0: know, there's I, I, I almost came into this week kind of wanting to give other guys love. Ooh.
1: Bryce Love? Yeah. Other guys
0: love love just that probably won't make it but are really having phenomenal years. Um, Bryce Love leading rusher Bryce Love, Luke Falk. I mean, you know, there's a lot of guys who have great numbers. Um, So it was kind of hard to come up with the five because you can make an argument for a lot of guys because there were a lot of subpar performances and there were a couple of losses. But that being said, (laughs) we go number five. And this is one of your favorite quarterbacks, Mason Rudolph. Yeah, I, gotta, I, gotta he stays keep, in. I gotta keep him in the top five. He's still I mean he still played pretty well, four hundred yards, a couple touchdowns. Yeah. He wasn't sharp as he's as usually been, a couple interceptions. The concern for me with him and this team is the offensive line injuries, obviously, and then the inconsistency running the football. Um, I believe they lost a guy out for the season up front, so they're sort of playing musical chairs up there.
1: Larry Williams Um, is his name. So
0: there's still plenty of opportunity for him on the schedule. He's still great. Their offense is still great. I'm not as down on Oklahoma State. I think TCU's pretty good. Mm. Uh, You're killing your father, Larry. But Oklahoma State, Texas Tech, that's going to be a good game this weekend. Do you have that game this
1: weekend? I do. Boom. Shameless self-promotion. Number four. Sam Darnold. Yes, he stays in. I'm so glad you did this. I was going to back – I was going to throw – go ahead. No, no. go. I'm going to defend your pick here. Well, I am not. I don't really have to defend You're it. You're
0: right, you um, don't. He's still one of the best quarterbacks in the country. They're undefeated. Um, road wins and conference play are tough. He, subpar performance, wasn't great, wasn't bad. Ronald Jones didn't play. He was play. Good in the second half. Yeah, Ronald Jones didn't play. They're starting tailback. Steven Mitchell, his second receiver, did not play in this game. Um, they're undefeated. They're on a, what's, 11-12 game win streak right now. which yeah, is I think it's the now? second longest in, in the OU's FBS. And 13, I think um, it is. And, and
1: look, this week is the week. At Washington State, Friday night. To your credit, you've been saying this since June when we've been talking about the season. You're like, that's the game. Like, this that's, is, the most, that's the scariest game on the schedule, at least you said. This,
0: this, is, this is by far, I think, the most difficult game on the schedule. And obviously, there's been some nail biters so far for USC. But at Washington State, they're playing really well. Their offense, we know, can score their defense with Alex Grinch, the D coordinator, is much better. This is, this is just one of those games that have that feel like it mm. just, you know, it's got upset all, all over it. But Sam Donald stays in the top five. And number three, he makes his debut. Debut, Rashad Penny. Yes, yes,
1: dude, I'm, I'm dude. digging this. We didn't talk about this. I'm, I'm digging the fact that you put Rashad. You would be he in, in my, my five? top five as well. And he's fact number three. Yeah, he's my number three. Rashad, 180, P. 180
0: yards a game. Get to know him. Get to know him. Remember Donnell Pumphrey last year yep. was sensational. Penny's the same type of guy. Couple good wins against Power Five teams. That's your
1: best group of five team, by the way. Yeah, I was going to say, a lot of
0: people think they're the best group of five team, and it's really because of their running back. He is phenomenal. So he deserves to be up here. He goes all the way from not even in the top five to number three. Yeah, good. Number two, Baker Mayfield. I think the top two are pretty self-explanatory right now. Maybe you differ. I don't know. Hmm. But I really don't care what you think. Number two, Baker Mayfield. Bring it. Smirky. Listen, listen. Road wins are hard to come by in conference play. I did not expect that game against Baylor to be as close. Yeah, I didn't either. Baylor played well. Baylor played tough. Um, Baker Mayfield three uh, three touchdowns still hasn't thrown an interception this season. He's still playing out of this world, in my opinion. He didn't really do anything to hurt his case, but I think my number one guy did everything to help his case, and that's Saquon Barkley. Saquon Barkley at Iowa. Iowa was phenomenal. Yeah, we he talk was great. about. You know, the special moments in big games. So we had those moments, the hurdle, all those things. But how about the block that he had on Trace McSorley's game-winning pass? Those are the things for me that go unnoticed that people will never talk about. But that's what makes him special. Good call. Over 300 yards of total offense. That kid is unbelievable. Right now he's the best player in college football.
1: Okay, so I would just – and listen, you can put – I'm fine with that. I have no problem with Barkley being number one. Here's a couple of thoughts for you out there. If you're looking at the Mayfield Barkley kind of equation mm-hmm. and thought process, Mayfield lost everybody. D.D. Westbrook, fifteen hundred yard wide receiver, Samaj Piran and Joe Mixon, both thousand yard running backs, and he's even better mm-hmm. now. Shows me some like serious resiliency. He set an NCAA record last year of passing efficiency. He's better than that this right. year. I mean, the dude's on fire. He's clearly on a mission. I love everything about Baker Mayfield right yeah, now. I do and too. then on the Barkley side, I agree with everything you said. He was unreal against Iowa, unreal. The only frustrating part for me is that the hype train got started so quickly for Saquon Barkley. I mean, right when it's done, it's like, Heisman, Heisman, mm-hmm. Heisman, Heisman. Do you realize that his game, 300 and what fifty-eight, I believe, all-purpose yards, or 68, somewhere in there, it wouldn't have even been in the top four for Christian McCaffrey right. in 2015, so where was the hype for a back then? <laughs> oh, I remember what it was. He played at 10 p.m. on the East Coast, and no one he watched him. He plays
0: in Pac-12 after dark. Yeah,
1: so, uh, you know, I get it. I love that he is getting all the love that he duly deserves, but there is that frustrating piece of me where it's just not quite well, the same for the guys on the West Coast. It's always, It's always been like that, and I'm with you. I think Christian McCaffrey – Let's play at was, USC.
0: Was phenomenal, obviously. But Saquon Barkley, listen, I mean, last year, he I mean, he, he was arguably the best back in the country last year as well. Yeah. So he sat, And McCaffrey as well. I think McCaffrey really just blew up last year in his yeah. season. He was phenomenal. Um, but I'm with you. And, and every week in my notes with Baker Mayfield, I always say he's still doing it without the guys around him. So that, to me, when you can elevate the players, now they're talented players, but you can elevate the players around you. And it's not just offense, it's just defense, too. This kid just has that contagious personality where he gets his whole team going. That's what makes him scary. So that's why, really, these two are interchangeable, mm-hmm. and both of them still have huge games on the schedule. So we'll find out. I mean, it's a week-to-week battle with these two, in my opinion, right now.
1: I can't wait to watch it all play out. Me too. Buddy. I believe the kids are calling what Baker has as swag let's get to some comments I love the Facebook comments here we go it's an official breaking the huddle graphic someone shouted I can't read upside how down how does Oklahoma State fall that far from Jordan how does Oklahoma State fall <laughs> this is one of my favorite type of questions Jordan I don't want to be, like, English professor guy, because, listen, when it comes to like, uh, grammar and punctuation, I'm one of the worst. Literally, I'm one of the worst. So that's why I stay away from it on Twitter, like the grammar police guy on Twitter. But I literally hate this question, Jordan. How did they move down? Because I did it. What do, how do you want me to answer that? What do, what do you want me to say? The proper way to phrase this question is, why did Oklahoma State fall that far? If you ask me that, now I can give you a reason, but if you say how, it's because I went like this. Here, hold on. on. Time out. Hold on. Hold on. We're back. We're back. Jordan, let's answer your question. How did Oklahoma State fall that far? Let me show you how. That's how. Why did they fall that far? Okay, now let's talk about why. So Oklahoma State had a home game against a team that they should have beat. Okay, They're better than TCU. Now, TCU played better on Saturday, and I think TCU's got a legitimate shot with the schedule that they've got in front of them to make a playoff push because I think they're that good. But Oklahoma State is better. They have more experience at the wide receiver position. Their quarterback comes back. Their defense is good enough. They just made too many mistakes. I understand that they had the injuries that they did to Zach Crabtree and Larry Williams uh, up there on the front of the offensive line. But the bottom line is you got to win that game. And even in the process of coming back, they made some incredible errors. Long story short, they lost at home. So, Jordan, show me the team up here that I put on my rankings that lost at home. Oh, that's right, that doesn't exist. So how did it happen? First, I ripped the sign down, and then I explained why. It's because they lost at home, okay? So there we go. No more hows. Let's stop it with the hows. And I'm not, because I'm not grammar guy. If Literally, my English teachers, which I'm sure are watching, because why wouldn't they from the past, they're looking at themselves, or I don't know if they're looking at themselves, they're thinking to themselves, This kid was one of the worst students ever, and they're right. Okay, someone shout it out. Ohio State should be up there, Joel, from Patricia. Patricia, Nittany Lions. They are up there, so I don't understand. What do you mean up there? Like at one? Ohio State. Oh, Ohio State. I thought you said Penn State. See? Patricia, Ohio State should be up there very similar to how i just answered jordan well first this is more of a comment and i just disagree with your comment so that's why i didn't put him in my top ten they lost at home so i don't know what you want me to do with that do you just want me to like forget and be like no i love urban meyer they're number eight because i think wins and losses mean something i'm more of a deserving guy than i am better if it comes to the playoff race you're going to hear me talk about that a lot when we get into the month of december or excuse me november and then early in december when the playoff committee decided they were going to use the term for best as an indifference of foremost deserving, I was upset. Because in college football, you should earn what you get. I don't care what your recruiting status says. I don't care who your coaches are. I don't care what we thought you were in the preseason. You are what your record suggests you are, and Ohio State is a one-loss team right now. So I might think that they're one of the best teams in the country, but that doesn't mean that they have earned their way onto this board. So, Patricia, I understand your sentiment, but I disagree with you. And finally. Finally. Did Washington not impress you? How are they only eight from Danny? How? The hows. The hows. Ah, let's get the hows out of here. Washington. um, Washington was okay. Part of this is born out of, and this is where, like, the Colorado fans might get all upset at me. I don't think Colorado's that great. So I, they've been good at home, but this year they've struggled. They were in a 28-21 ball game in the third quarter against Northern Colorado. Um, their offense hasn't been what I thought it was going to be under Steven Montez, their quarterback. So – You know, you can say, like, oh, you know, it was a Pac-12 championship game rematch. First of all, Colorado lost three guys off their secondary that were all draft picks in the first 66 picks of the draft. Colorado offensively has not been what I thought they were going to be, like I said a little bit earlier. So that win for Washington didn't carry some of the weight that others have projected onto it. I saw some of the game. I have went back and and watched the film. It was actually a closer game than the score indicated. I know that Washington was the better team, and I'm not suggesting that they got lucky and it was a close game because it wasn't. But Colorado's not great this year. I think they're a bowl team, not much more. I don't think they're going to win the division. So quite frankly, Washington did what an eighth-ranked team should do when they go on the road and play a Colorado team. Part of that was born out of what I thought about my own alma mater. So sorry, I don't know what to say. How? How's. Remember, why? If you're going to ask a question on Twitter, just lead with why. Because then I need to give you a reason. If you ask how, then I'm just going to rip your teen off and throw them down on the ground. I hope you enjoyed that. Hey, by the way, this show is brought to you by Dr. Pepper. It's delicious. Every home gate and tailgate. It's the one fans crave. Thank you for watching Breaking the Huddle. We're going to have our podcast up. It's going to also include a monologue segment, my thoughts on what's going on in college basketball. While it might not be a football topic, it is an amateurism topic, which really governs our sport. It's a, it is an NCAA topic, so get my thoughts there. Check social media, college football on Fox, on Twitter, and on Facebook for Clatback. Back. That will be coming out uh, here, what, Kristen, end of the night? Tomorrow. Tomorrow, Clat Back comes out tomorrow we got some good ones. I'm going to clap back at some verified Twitter followers. Very, very exciting. Thank you for watching. Be here next week with Breaking the Huddle. All right, so the major news around college athletics, really, and it's not really football news, but it is news for college athletics is the big FBI investigation into college basketball and then the fallout that's inevitably going to happen, not just for basketball programs around the country, but inevitably football programs. And, and there's going to be a lot of talk about the NCAA and rules and everything. So I want you to be able to come here, break in the huddle, and get a really solid foundational piece of why this happened. Because that's the important part. Everyone's going to be looking to place blame and who should get fired and who should get sanctions and so on and so forth. Try to avoid that, at least initially, and try to understand the structure of college athletics, which is allowing this type of instance to happen. Okay. so anytime you have corruption on this scale, you have to ask yourself why. And in order to answer that question, you've got to go through a lot of layers. So bear with me. We're going to try to get through them all. Why did this happen in college basketball? It happened because college basketball operates and college football operate under the umbrella of amateurism. So let's first go back and talk a little bit about amateurism. Amateurism is, as the NCAA puts it on their website, is a bedrock foundational principle to collegiate athletics. And this is what they say on their website. It is crucial, speaking of amateurism, to preserving an academic environment in which acquiring a quality education is first priority. I'm going to let you guys all laugh a little bit. Everyone chuckles in the back of the classroom. Uh, He said first priority. I did. And that's what the NCAA would like you to believe. But we all know that that's not the case. Two things that stand out in terms of that statement is quality is a lie and first priority is a lie. The quality of the education that an athlete gets at their university is not quite the same value of the education that a normal student gets. Why? Because when the conflicts arise between your scholarship sport and your commitment to, that, uh, and your commitment to academics, the sport wins because that's why you're there. That's why you're getting a scholarship. So let me give you an example. A journalism student is also a tennis player. And that tennis player is going to have matches throughout the fall season. Um, And the journalism major and their senior is also given an opportunity to achieve the highest post at the journalism school, which is covering the beat of the football program. That's the highest post a student journalism major can get, is to cover the student beat for the football program. But because they're also a tennis player, they actually aren't going to be able to attend all the football games in order to cover the beat. Guess what? You can't have that post. So you were unable to achieve the full value of the educational opportunity at your school because of your scholarship sport. That's just the truth of it. Okay, you can argue that all you want and people try to all the time, but that is the truth. So the quality of the education is not what the other students on the campus are available to receive. And then the first priority, come on, we know that's not the case. Look at all the weeknight games throughout the sports, whether it's tennis, swimming, men's basketball, women's basketball, even college football. We're playing all times a year. We're playing all nights a week. That's just a lie. Academics are not first priority when it comes to the NCAA. So if you talk about those two things being broken down, the quality and the first priority, amateurism starts to fall apart. The value of a degree is going down in our society. Meanwhile, the revenue that the schools are going up. So the margin in the 1950s was like this. You know, the, the money that the school would put up and the value of your degree were somewhat equal. And so amateurism started to survive. But then all of a sudden you started seeing this started seeing this. And now, all of a sudden, the revenue is way up here and the value of your degree is way down here in society. Well, guess what's going to start happening? People that are getting this value and being told, hey, that's really worth this are going to say, no, it's not. So amateurism starts to fall apart. Okay, so now that we've got that defined and under control, let's move on to the black market that is created via this amateurism. If you're telling an athlete that their value is X up here where you're, you're receiving all this money, but you're only giving them Y down here in the form of a degree, they will make up the difference somewhere else because that is their market value. The void created by amateurism creates the opportunity for the black market which these people exploited. I'm not giving them a pass. I'm not talking about moral issues or anything else. I'm just saying amateurism is the reason this happened. It's not a corrupt Adidas or Nike rep or financial planner or agent or coach. It is because there is a marketplace between value and what you're given. Do you understand now? Now, let's talk a little bit further. In basketball, this is going to be exploited to a much greater degree than it ever would in football for a few different factors. And it has to do with economics. Now, we got to go back to economics school. I was an economics major, so here we go. Do you remember supply and demand? It's what our capitalist society is built off of. Supply, demand, it's going to even out at some point, and you're going to pay a certain price for a certain commodity based on supply and demand. Well, what happens when? the supply falls woefully short of demand. The price goes way up, right? And guess what? If the if the supply understands what the value is and understands what the demand is, they will get the price that they ask for. So the supply in this case are college basketball players, highly in demand. And remember this about college basketball players. If you're a five-star basketball recruit, you're likely going to go to the NF, uh, NBA. It's not as likely for a five-star football recruit. So the people that invest in you as a supply chain are going to get a return on that investment. You're going to go to the NBA in one year, not three, one year. So now you're being looked at as a commodity. There's a limited number of you. You're highly valuable. There's a high probability of future gains and success and value. So the demand outpaces that supply. Okay, The buyers, in this case, the investors, so the shoe companies, the agents, the coaches, the financial advisors, they see this opportunity to invest in a commodity that's going to go through the roof. It's like insider trading. Wait, you're going to tell me this guy is going to make $3 million guaranteed almost minimum in a year and a half, and I can invest in him, give him like hundred grand, and then I'm going to have the ability to make money off him for forever? You bet. Sign me up. That is a great stock buy. A great stock buy. So they do it. The brands do it. The shoes do it. The coaches do it. The financial planners do it. And the agents do it. You get to an NBA in a year, large guaranteed contracts, and basketball players sell shoes. All right. So the value of these players is going through the roof. Everybody's treating them like a commodity. And here's the other issue the commodity understands its own value. If I'm a basketball player and me and my family understand that I can go make money. Right, It might not be for an NBA team, but I can be paid a certain dollar amount. Rest assured, I'm going to get that dollar amount. And the only thing that's forcing me to do it on the black market is amateurism. Remember, amateurism here is the guys that is forcing all these moves to happen. This is the last part of the equation. And I think it's probably the most fascinating to me. If, if you are kind of glazed over at everything that I've said, I want you to listen to what I'm about to say. Because this is really the eye-opening part of this entire FBI investigation. Even the FBI, by treating this as a criminal investigation, is treating the players like a commodity. Because they understand that insider trading and fraud is happening. If these players had no value, the FBI wouldn't be there in the first place. They have enormous value. And yet, based on the fact that their value is derived based on one of two skills in the entire pantheon of our country, one of two skills, they can't make money off of it until somebody else makes money off them first. Think about that. You can make money on any other skill in our country at 18 years old, 17 years old. Go for it. You can go to the Olympics and play volleyball volleyball and be on a Wheaties box. Boom. Do it. You can play golf, you can play baseball, you can go be a pro whenever you want, but not in basketball and football. Why? Because people have found a great way to make money off of you when you're 19 and 20 and 21. It's called college athletics, college football and college basketball. And until you line their pockets, you better not line your own. I think that's the worst part of this. The FBI is treating this as an investigation because they understand that these kids are commodities. The only ones that don't understand that these kids are commodities are the NCAA. But they probably are keenly aware of it because they're making money off of it hand over fist. These people are going to be thrown under the bus at Louisville or at Oklahoma State or at Nike or at Adidas. But really, when you create the system that this is happening in and you create the system so that you make the money and not others, who's really to blame? I would argue that it's the powers that be.